Welcome, everyone. Welcome to my podcast. It's a long time coming. It is called Triggered by Lauren Drain. Welcome, everyone. We're going to have a lot of fun on here. So as the title suggests, there are going to be some triggering topics for everyone. I have some personal things that I'm going to be discussing about my past. And if you followed me on Instagram or any of my social medias, you know that I have a lot to talk about. It could, you know, regarding mental health and like I said, triggering topics. So it's going to be really fun today. We're going to go over my a lot of my background and uh, kind of so you get to know me a little bit more if you're new tuning in to me and my past. But um, yeah, I'll just go ahead and start off. So I am Lauren Kagan. I am a mother. I'm a wife. Um, I'm a New York Times bestselling author. I actually wrote a and published a book in 2013. It's called Banished, Surviving My Years in the Westboro Baptist Church. Um, I'm a cult survivor. I'm a trauma survivor. I was recently diagnosed with PTSD. Um, I'm a certified personal trainer. I train clients online and have been doing so for almost 10 years. I am a nurse. I'm a registered nurse. I've been a registered nurse since I was 21. Um, a bikini pro, fitness model. Multi- I own multiple businesses. And uh, now we're getting into podcasting. So it's going to get really fun. So welcome, guys. If you know my history, you know, I'm just going to kind of get right in for any of the newcomers. Um, where do I start off? Okay, so I was born and raised in Tampa, Florida. I um, I had my first sibling um, when I was about five years old. Um, I would say that some of the most, some of the more impact, more impactful things in my life. I'm just gonna kind of go over those things uh, in this podcast because I want you guys to get kind of a real good history on who I am. But um, when I was about five years old, uh, my parents found out that my younger sister, Taylor, had cancer. So um, she was born, and within six months of being born, she was diagnosed. So I was very young, and I had to watch her uh, go through chemo, radiation, surgery at a very young age. And I basically watched her live in a hospital for the first year of her life. Um, you know, I, the reason I bring this up is to kind of give a little more background on me. I, you know, it kind of contributed to the reason I went into nursing as a, my first career choice. Um, my sister Taylor, I, you know, I watched her get chemo treatments and I even learned how to, I learned how to give her her chemo treatments at home after she was discharged from the hospital, um, into her little tube. And this is just something that I was exposed to at a very young age. So I think it helped me grow up a lot. I think it really gave me a taste for life and death at a very young age. Um, I think I really was concerned that she was going to pass away, um, at the age of five or six. So I had a very strong respect for being an older protective sister And for those of you who know my background with Westboro and my background with my family, I'm the oldest of four children. And being an older sister was, from the time I was five, a very important role in my life to be a protective older sister. So um, I did. I protected her, and she did uh, survive cancer. Um, She was deemed cancer-free at age five, but until that time of me being five years old all the way to 10, I was always worried that she was going to die. Um, She went to chemo, she would go to uh, CT scans, I think it was weekly, Um, if I remember correctly, we had to drive all the way from, I was living in Kansas at the time, we actually moved from Florida to Kansas to be near a children's hospital that was um, 
best for children. And um, we would drive from Lawrence to Kansas City to go to her to visit her on the weekends. I could only see her on the weekends. She was in a little baby crib in the hospital with IVs all hooked up to her. And I basically learned um, a lot. Like I, like I knew life and death was very real reality from a very young age. Um, I knew to not make myself a priority with my family because she was such a delicate situation for my family and they were very young. My parents had me at 20, they had her at 25 and um, I saw how devastating the whole situation was. So I think I, it really impacted me. So anyhow, at that time it also impacted me because I wanted to become a nurse. I knew from that day that Taylor she had a nurse practitioner take care of her at the time, and that nurse practitioner was a wonderful lady, and she cleared her of cancer, and I knew from that day that I wanted to be a nurse because she saved my sister's life. Um, so that's kind of the story of why I fell in love with nursing, and I eventually became a nurse. I actually became a cardiac nurse. I worked ICU and stepped down for years, but that's the origin of why I really got into it. Um, but yeah, so fast forward to some of my other years, you know, my sister was doing well after that. Um, my family moved back and forth between Florida and Kansas. So like I said, I was born in Florida. My sister was born in Florida. My Both my parents were born in Florida. But we moved to Kansas for Taylor's cancer treatments and that hospital. And my father also had a... Um, he was searching for degrees in Kansas, in Kansas University. And um, I think at the time... It was very impactful upon me because my dad was still young, but he needed to find a career. And I think he was also really searching for uh, what he found to be the truth on things. Um, he was always searching, searching, searching. So it was like first he went to philosophy as as his degree. And he then he went to relig like religious um, studies. Then he did um, – he did more like uh, he did religious studies. He did film. He was always studying with someone at, at a, in college. He was always studying with someone about like, you know, different topics of religion and uh, what does God mean? What is truth? What is faith? Like, what is the purpose of life? And I saw from a very young age that my dad was just like a truth seeker and, a, and seeking something like the meaning of life. And um, I watched his journey from a very young age. So it was interesting because we did bounce around a little bit between different types of, of things, you know. Um, I saw my dad, like, have missionaries come to the house and do little talks with us one-on-one, -on -one, and we would study the Bible growing up, you know. But I kind of just saw different avenues, you know, kind of like he was searching for what – who God is and what God is and what is religion, what's Christianity – like, is it real? Is it true? Is it good? Um, so I kind of watched my dad experience that a lot. And um, then once we had, we ended up moving back to Florida, I think right around the time I was like a teenager, and um, my mom was missing her family, and, you know, we were out, out in Kansas kind of by ourselves. So we moved back to Florida. I uh, reconnected with my family there. But, you know, I was a, I was a teenager. I was like 13, 14, kind of rebellious type. Um, I've always been a very curious person. I've always been very rebellious and a type that learns, likes to learn the hard way. And, you know, I don't know now, now later in life, I, I kind of, I kind of respect that journey because I'm not one to just follow suit with everything. I really kind of need to test the waters and, you know, I was the oldest of four and I was a teenager. And I think that really looking back on it, that scared my parents a lot 
because I was determined to do things. Like I was determined to date boys. I was determined to go to parties. I was determined to go to dances, sneak out of the house, you know, go to sleepovers where there's gonna be boys there. And I and I think, you know, this seems like a pr probably a pretty average thing for like a 13, 14 year old girl to maybe be interested in. But for whatever reason, um, I think it scared my parents because I was so, very boy crazy and so very like sneaky that you know it kind of maybe shocked them and made them feel like okay maybe we need to get a hold of this girl this girl's wild you know um she's gonna get pregnant you know she's gonna get into drugs like i can only imagine all the fears that a, a parent can have you know i'm a parent now i, I have a three-year-old daughter and uh, and i think i think it can be scary raising a teenager at, at, at any time but um particularly with my parents uh at the same exact time, my dad's searching for truth and searching for what's right and how maybe to control his teenage daughter, make sure she doesn't get into too much trouble. Right around the same time, you know, he had been studying film and he had been trying to make his own documentary. Um, a lot of this history, by the way, is in my book. So if you've already read it, um, it's banished and uh, you, can, you can get it on Amazon. It's pretty easily accessible. But um, I'll just give you guys a little brief background. So. Right around the same time that I'm being this wild teenager that, you know, blah, 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 my dad is um, searching still. And um, during his film production career, um, he was doing a project and he wanted to study this kind of infamous Westboro Baptist Church uh, that he had heard of while studying at Kansas University. And he heard of them, he saw them protesting, and, you know, he kind of just, I think, thought they were a very fascinating group of people and um, he wanted to do a documentary on them so he ended up spending a whole summer with them and um, you know the thing with my father is I'm you know I, I'm sure we'll get into this in future episodes but um, you know humans are dynamic and changing and, and, and radically going through a lot of things in their life and and for my father at that time I didn't know it until later on but my father was always searching for a father figure. I think he was always searching for a sense of community, um, a father figure, the truth, what's right, how to how to control your family, how to maybe protect your family from maybe the evils in the world, whatever he deemed to be evil or scary. And um, this church, the Westboro, at the time, uh, Fred Phelps was the pastor. He was a very charismatic one-on-one -on -one father figure for my dad, I think. And the, the, thing with, the thing with my dad is, um, I've had to come to terms with, you know, he was actually the product of an affair. So this is something I didn't find out until I was older and I did some research and digging on my family. And the situation is that he never really told me this. I had to find out through like his step siblings and, and, and digging into my family's roots. I don't know if he was, I don't know how he feels about it. That's his own thing to say. But I discovered um, his mother, so my grandmother, who I have a few choice things to say of. She's a very, I don't know if narcissistic, it's a pretty good word to describe her. She was always in theater. She was always dramatic and everything was always about her. You know, I loved her to whatever degree you could love your grandmother, but I did see that she was very cavalier in in the way she treated others and my father and her her children. And everything seemed very much about her. You know, um, I saw that from a very young age. So back to my father, she had already had several marriages and children with several men. 
And she then she had a, an affair with a married man. So she was married and he was married. They had an affair. They kept the child, which is my dad. So my dad was a bastard. Um, you know, some people will call it a bastard. Some people will call it like out of wedlock or an unwanted child. Like he wasn't desired by either family. And so it was a very strained situation for him, for someone to grow up in. And I don't even think anyone explained it to him. His parents never explained this to him. He just grew up in it. And, it, and so she, he was bounced back and forth as a child between two different homes that didn't want him. Um, they, you know, it wasn't a loving, it wasn't a loving relationship. These, the mother and father did not love him. They didn't love each other. He didn't grow up in love. So when I look back on it, I'm like, I understand this. And even, the, and even his siblings who were older, their step siblings, um, at the time, you know, mistreated him. He was unwanted. He wasn't a wanted sibling. Like he is the product of an affair. So, um, that's, devastating like how do you overcome that how do you overcome something like being like that so this is what he grew up in and, and i think it's it's um it's very sad but it's also very understandable that he didn't have a father figure mother figure that he could relate to or maybe necessarily feel loved by and so as growing up you know he's a, he's a troubled teen you know he met my mother at a very young age and um they have been high school sweethearts, and um, I love my parents now. And we're going to get to that in very many later episodes. I know a lot of you guys that have followed my story know that I was separated from my family for 15 years. Be, you know, I was in the church, I was in the cult church for about seven from ages 14 to 21. And then I got kicked out at 21. I'll kind of go into that story as well. And from 21 to I, what I'm, I'm 37 now, I, I have been out for over 15 years. I only just recently reconnected with them. And that's a whole story in itself. But what I want to tell you guys is that when my father was searching for the truth and he's searching for a father figure, you know, Pastor Phelps, if you know anything about him, he he's a very vocal character and many would see him as a very aggressive, condescending, maybe narcissistic type but when my father spoke with him, he was very gentle and kind and warm and welcoming. And I saw that side of him in the church. So I think a lot of the people in the church saw that side of him. Um, I actually felt like a granddaughter uh, by him at times. So if I felt like a granddaughter from him, my father most certainly probably felt like a, f a son. Did I say that right? If I felt like a granddaughter, my yeah. father probably felt like a son. So... Um, I, I understand it now. I understand. I've gone through life without having parents for 15 years, and I've always searched for that role, like a mother figure, a father figure, a sister figure, a brother figure. They are these bonds that are just so impossible to replace and difficult to find and um, just they're really unbreakable um, and, and just difficult to, to fill those shoes, you know? But when they are there and you find someone that, shows you the love or the care or the nurture or the respect or the whatever it is that you had missing like I get it you know so um yeah I used to harbor a lot I mean I can go into the whole history of everything but I think the reason my father did join is because like I said he was getting into film so that was a small thing doing a documentary which initially was supposed to be a mockumentary by the way but he fell in love with this man who tr took him in under his wing as a son. And my dad's father, I didn't get to get that close with him because he passed away when I was pretty young. But every time I hear of him and I, the memories I have, he was very stone cold and hard. So his own father was never really nurturing or warm with him. And I think he's always had that missing. So it makes sense to me that 
he would have been very attracted to and, you know, developed a nurturing relationship with a man that brought him under his wing. And, you know, I can honestly say the, the, the love that you want from a parent never goes away. Like my dad was about 35 when he joined Westboro and I'm 37 now. And I can honestly tell you, I've there, I still love the shit out of having a parent in my life. And when I didn't have parents in my life, it was the biggest pain that you can imagine. So it doesn't matter how old you get. It doesn't matter how, if you have a family, if you have kids, if you have a wife, you're always gonna have that need for a, a, a father figure or a mother figure. And so I get it now, you know, like I, there's plenty of years I was just like angry. Like, why would he join this church? This church, they say such awful things. Like if you guys have done any of the background and this, this, this podcast is not about Westboro. I'm not gonna make it about Westboro. You know, it is part of my history and part of my past. But one thing I did choose in, when I was going down different chapters in my life was I didn't want to make my whole identity tied to this place because it was a chapter of my life. I will recognize it. I will give it credit where credit is due, but I will not become a victim of it. I will not become defined by it. Like I, I, I literally developed PTSD from this place, but I'm going to use my PTSD to help people. I'm not gonna say, oh, let's just trash Westboro, everybody sucks, like they're all narcissists and fuck them. And you know, I, I just don't wanna go there with that because to me that doesn't help heal. It doesn't help fix anything. And in fact, it doesn't even give me, why, it doesn't even help, like I didn't suffer for a reason and I didn't go through it for a reason. Like I, I obviously went through it for a reason. And I, if it was suffering that I needed, or if it was strengthening that I needed, or if I needed to grow and learn and heal on my own as a human through faith or whatever it is, like I needed to do that. So anywho, um, yeah, so that's kind of my dad's journey. And I, and I have a little more to say on that, but people, a lot of people ask me because he did bring our family there. It was not a personal choice. Um, I was 14, I was still living at home with my parents and, um, you know, they brought us there and all of a sudden it was a huge culture shock. Like I'm living in this, I went from like dyeing my hair and cutting my hair and doing my nails and doing like typical 14 year old girl things, going to high school dances, trying to have boyfriends to like, you can't cut your hair, you can't dye your hair, you can't do your nails, you gotta dress like this. Mom's throwing out all my clothes. I can't do makeup ever again. Everything I do makes me a whore. Like you know, if you paint your nails, you're a whore. If you cut your hair, you're a whore. If you put on makeup, you're a whore. Like if you like a boy, you're a whore. If you look in the mirror at yourself, you're a whore. Like everything just went from like typical normality of a child, a developing teenager to everything you do is sinful and, and, and terrible and horrible and has to be monitored and controlled and humiliated and shamed. So it was a drastic culture change for me. Um, I mean, it would be for anyone, but 14 is a very strange age to get that heavy restriction. Now I will say on the flip side of that, it, it, it had a blessing in disguise to it, you know? So I won't just say it was all bad because I didn't get pregnant and I didn't get into drugs and I didn't sleep with every guy on the planet and get STDs. And you know, there, there's, there are, th there are consequences to, being given too much freedom or being able to have access to everything that you desire as a 14 year old and everything you desire as a 14 year old is not good for you you know so i i'm only a mother of a three-year-old i don't know what it's like to have a teenager um but i do know 
that they are curious and they are rebellious and they are whatever. And so how do you walk that fine line as a parent and try to guide them and protect them without shoving them away from anything safe, but like keeping them close to you? And, you know, it's it's a fine line. It's a balance, you know, and I'm sure every parent has to go through that themselves. So do I do I hate my parents for it? No, I I definitely had a lot of angst, teen angst about it when it was happening to me. I was confused, I was mad, I was frustrated. I I couldn't even ask why it was happening because it was just the rules. This is how you obey God. This is how you love God. This is how you're a Christian. And God forbid you question it, like you're gonna get punished or you can't get baptized or you can't hang out with your friends or you get more chores. Uh, you get your privileges revoked. Like I had no privileges anyways. I literally like just, I picketed, I went to church, I went to school. Um, I took care of the family and I took care of the house from age 14 to 21. I had no social life. I did not date. I did not go to movies. I didn't, I mean, to go on a shopping spree was like once a year. And that spree was like a hundred dollar max. And my mom was watching me shop and she would decide what clothes I could wear or not. Like I did not live a normal, a typical teenage life. Like I said, on the flip side of that, it kept me out a lot of trouble. And I was a very curious even to this day a very curious like rebellious human like i just like to it be i'm adventurous i like to go and push my boundaries in life i like to test my limits i like to seek challenge i like to understand life and i've kind of always needed to um test those boundaries and find out the hard way oh shoot you probably shouldn't drink yourself silly oh shoot you probably shouldn't do all the drugs oh shoot, you probably shouldn't sleep with everybody. Like, I I don't know why, but maybe my dad already saw that in me or maybe he just saw it in himself and he was similar when he was growing up. I, I don't know all the answers, but I do know like, okay, I get it. Like I understand to some degree why a parent might take their kid and put him in something strict. Now, Westboro's is really strict, uh, way stricter than most like private schools or whatever place you might put your kid to kind of protect them. But it did have a level of comfort and it also served now that I'm older and I'm out of it and I'm not angry anymore, it can serve as like, I can, I get it sort of, and I'm, I'm not harboring that anger anymore. But I looking back as a parent, I'm like, okay, like how do you protect your kid from certain things nowadays? Like the kids have access to everything, like even more than when I was a kid, like I didn't have access to social media like this. I didn't have access to technology like my kid will. I, you, I mean, you can just go get weed down the street. Like I, I, I couldn't even get, I couldn't get, just get weed. I mean, I'd have to like really phone a few friends and wait a while to get it back there. So I don't know. It's a scary world sometimes, but like I said, I, I just really, it's interesting because there were some devastating parts of the cult or the church that at the time devastated me. And even to this day have really devastated me, but there's also parts that were a little bit humbling. Um, okay. So let's fast forward a little bit more through that, that process. I mean, it was a seven year journey, so there's a lot, I can go into many episodes to talk about it, but you know, I, I developed a lot of issues during the church. I developed anxiety. Um, I would try to question things. Um, I would question some of the rules. Um, so I learned a lot of Bible. We studied the Bible every single day for seven years. And that gave me a lot of, um, knowledge, which I now am super grateful for. Like, I feel like a like a Bible scholar or a theologian, I could probably go into a debate with people. Um, but 
you know, I had no other life outside that at the time. But, you know, I started asking a lot of questions. I basically was like, okay, why do we say God hates everyone? Or why do we say God mocks this person for dying? Um, and because I knew Bible, I was able to back up my arguments. And I would say like, okay, well, God doesn't, it says in Ezekiel, God doesn't have the pleasure of the death of the wicked. So why do we hold these signs? And as I got older, I, I just like, I was so curious. I was so, I just run my mouth <laughs> and I didn't know the consequences of it at that time. Cause I genuinely believed the, when I was there, I, I, I genuinely believe these people believed in God. They trusted God. Their whole life was worshiping and serving God. And they were the only people that God loved. And this is, we had this great elitist mentality about us. And this is how it was taught. So I thought, okay, if these people are true and what we're doing is right and God loves us, then let's just be honest. See, I thought that that was the key. Oh, let's just, let's have honest conversations about the Bible. Let's question our things. You know, we're humans, so we're, we're flawed. We, we can make mistakes and we can go off path. Nope, that was not acceptable. Asking questions about the Bible was absolutely not welcomed. It was, sh I was shunned. I was humiliated. Um, and I'm a teenager. You got to understand, I'm just a typical ass, curious ass teenager. And so what would happen would be, I would ask either my parents or other members of the church. It was basically 70 people, very small knit group of people, four or five families, but most of them were all of the same, like cousins and aunts and uncles and grandparents, S like a very small group of people were making the rules and decisions. And if you did something outside of that, you would get punished. So the punishments were things like a massive email sent out to every single member. So let's say there's 70 members and like 20 of them are your friends and um, everybody sees your faults. Like everybody sees what you're doing wrong. So if you at if you ask questions, they'll say, oh, you know, Lauren is, Lauren is so divisive. She's so satanic. Like she, she's always causing trouble. She's always questioning God. Like she's a bad influence. The kids should stop hanging out with her. So they'll send a blast out this massive email, which at the time would tell everyone to stop hanging out with me. So my friends, because when I joined the church at 14, everyone else that I knew prior to that, you know, uh, cousins, friends were all, I was cut off from all of them. So when I joined the Westboro at 14, I had no other friends or family. I had, I had to disown everybody. So my only friends and family were in Westboro. And the girls and boys I met there, they were basically all cousins, not my cousins, but they were all cousins. And so it was very easy for them to kind of uh, shun me because they grew up together and their family and friends. I'm a newcomer joining that is a whore that like did all these whorish things before she joined. So I was a black sheep. I was a black sheep coming into this like white sheep family. And um, it was so easy to shun me because I was rebellious and I was curious and I would speak my mind and I would ask, why do we do this? Does God really want us to treat people like this? Like, you know, I speak, spoke my mind and that got me in a lot of trouble. So I would get things like, okay, I got extra chores. I would be told, okay, like, we didn't really have a lot of privileges. I'm trying to think of something that would even be related to a privilege to normal teenagers or normal people. But a privilege was like, I get to drive the kids to school <laughs> or I get to drive the kids to a picket or I might be able to take them to a movie day. Um, and as soon as I do something like ask the wrong questions or challenge the uh, theology, challenge the religious things we were doing, they would revoke my rights. So I would no longer get to hang out with my friends. I can't drive the kids to school. I can't watch the kids. They might even give me extra chores. So we already had a shit ton of chores anyways. Our whole life was chores. It was ridiculous. 
Um, like you have to do more lawn work. You have to do more laundry. You have to like, we had a bunch of work crew projects and we would be like, okay, you have to do more work crew projects. You know, you, and it, it, none of it was fun. Um, and the only thing you had were your friends. So if your friends are shunning you or, you're, or you're get, you get your friends taken from you, you have nothing really else. Um, so it, it, it was a very strange environment. I mean, I got really close to these w girls. Like actually one of my very best friends, Megan Phelps Roper, she, she has done Ted talks. She's, she's wrote, she's wrote her own book. She's actually doing a, she's actually doing a podcast series right now with JK Rowling. Uh, it's amazing. She's, she's gone on to do some amazing things in her life, but me and her are best friends from high school. When I joined the Westboro at 14, me and Megan were best friends. We were in school. We literally went to school together and in, in classes together and uh, we're only one month apart. So we have been friends for like, God, how, since we were 14, however many years that is. Anywho, so I was, be I became best friends with these women in the church. I adapted all the same values, the same culture. And so when they would get taken from me, like I had nothing else. Um, so that would go on along about the things. And, and there was a lot of different tumultuous things, you know, going on. So yeah, that that's a little bit about that. Um, I mean, the, the, probably the most impactful thing about the whole thing was thinking that I was one of God's people and that these were God's people and this was everything. And God forbid, I am not part of this church anymore. They had convinced me, they had brainwashed me from the age of 14 that I will, if I get kicked out of this church, I will lose God, lose religion, and I'm going to go to hell. And basically, the whatever remainder of my life is left will be terrible. Like, God will punish me. I'll die of a horrible disease. I'll probably get STDs. I'll probably go into a drug overdose. I'll probably die of cancer. Like, the amount of, like, threats and, like, like punishments that you think are coming at you when you're no longer one of God's people is freaking terrifying. So that is one of the tactics they would use is, you know, say God causes all these punishments. God causes all, you know, every disease, every tragedy, every this, that. And we were brainwashed to believe like everything bad comes from God. And if it's happened, if something bad's happening to you, then it's, that's it. And I remember questioning this because I was like, wait a minute, I know way too many stories in the Bible where that's not the case at all. Like bad shit happened to King David, bad shit happened to Job. Job had so many bad things happen. What about Joseph? What about, what about everyone ever in the Bible who had bad shit happen to them? And that wasn't, so that you're saying that was God? And so I would question these things. I said, what about Satan? What about temptations? What about evil? Like they weren't having it. So, but, but, but it's very strange because when something is brainwashed into your brain for seven years, you just don't trust yourself anymore. And even though you had, like I had a strong intuition and I had this strong curiosity and I had this strong spirit, rebellious spirit, which I always thought was so terrible. I would shame myself for it because my parents, you know, my parents at the time or the church at the time would shame me for this rebellious spirit you know, oh, look at her. She's divisive. Oh, she asks too many questions. She's questioning her authority. She's questioning the elders. She's questioning her religion, her God and her faith. And it's like, dude, so I would shame myself every time that I would ask, is this right? Should we do this? Is this what God wants? Is this how you should treat people? You know, like, should we hold these crazy signs? Like there were some signs that would just devastate me and I'm not going to get into them because I just, I don't even like putting out their message, but they would have us hold some crazy signs. And we didn't even get to choose all our signs either. So by the way, if we went to a protest, like 
we would just pull them out of a bag and whatever sign you got, oh, okay, here's what we're saying today. They would send us on trips to go protest religious things, um, events, uh, sporting events, uh, religious communities, political events. And so we were shipped all over the country every single week for seven years and on our dime. And we would hold signs with these re like really insanely provocative messages saying God hates this or that or God caused this tragedy while people are actively experiencing the tragedy or recovering or in grief, which by the way, as a 14 to 21 year old, I knew nothing about grief back then. So I didn't even know what I was exposing people to. And and then we get the re we got all the reactions from people and we were told, oh, you know, God says that you're supposed to be hated of all men for my name's sake, blah, blah, blah. And so I'm like, okay, I guess I'm supposed to be hated. Everybody hates me. This is perfect. This is exactly what God wants. So we get brainwashed to believe these things and um, that you're supposed to be hated by people, that you're supposed to provoke them, that they're going to revile you. You're going to hate you. They're going to speak all manner of evil against you falsely. So we get told all these Bible verses and they, we lock them in and they drill it into our head for seven years. And even when your intuition is telling you something's wrong, it's so hard to go against what you've been told. It's like it was chanted into your head for seven years. And I believed it. I literally believed it then and I believed it afterwards. And to the point that I literally thought I was gonna die. I, I kept having panic attacks. Basically, my parents ended up kicking me out. I kept asking questions. I honestly think they kicked me out because I was so damn curious. Um, and I would ask questions in front of other kids. So I was kind of like bad influence. Like, Lauren's, oh, she's, you know, don't listen to her. She she going against the rules. And I would, I would be, a, I would basically, uh, I would show that you can ask questions and that was harder for them to control the children and control the kids because if you ask questions, I have an independent thought. If you have an independent thought, it's outside the, the confines of their religion, their control, their rules, and, and so on. And so they, I think they honestly made an example out of me. They kicked me out. I mean, it's so crazy because they they say that they kicked me out because I was talking to a boy online. First of all, that's not against the Bible or anything. And many members that were the generation before me slept with people, had babies outside of wedlock, which is one of their rules. Not That's not my rule. That's their rule. And they stayed and they got to stay as part of a member and part of the church. So to me, I just saw this as like they had so much hypocrisy sex outs they would say sex outside of marriage is so sinful and then then they would do it and they had done it and they're like oh don't worry we've atoned for our sins it's fine we did it back in the day but you guys are supposed to learn from our mistakes and i was like i don't know anywhere in the bible where it says i'm supposed to learn from your sins but okay cool guess i gotta follow that rule too it, it there was so much hypocrisy but so yeah i got kicked out because there were at the time by the way i was like 21 I'd already gone through uh, nursing school. So they have this rule where you can't really date uh, or court or even think about marrying someone until you get your degree, which is also not biblical, but whatever. We're, we're going to stay with the Westboro rules. So I had been asking as I'm reaching my end of my career, nursing career, how do I go about dating someone? Because I need to know like what's right. I wanted to know what was actually true. And I wanted them to back it up with Bible. <laughs> and that was difficult for them because it's not biblical what they're doing. So I remember I kept saying, no, it says here that it's better to marry than to burn. Cause they're like, oh, you know, you thinking about marriage is very vain of you. That's not godly. You're very self-centered for caring about marriage over God. You need to dedicate your whole life to God and blah, 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 blah. I was like, yeah, but all of you guys are married. And uh, 
like what the fuck so it was just it was very crazy like a couple of the people were telling me no blah 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 so I, and i kept fighting back because i knew better and they the irony is they had taught me the things that i knew so it's like you guys created a monster here and it's me <laughs> so um anywho it was just a very confusing time so i was i was asking these questions about how do i go about dating someone which meanwhile the people in the church the generation before me there had in order to have more families they had to date someone outside the church otherwise they would be dating their own family which they don't do by the way but they had to meet someone at a, at, a, at a college or wherever, which is outside the church. So I was like, okay, how do I meet someone? Can I, can I, can I meet someone online? Can I meet someone at, at school? Where am I allowed to meet someone? And they'd be like, you're asking too many questions. You're being so sinful and you're, you're so self-centered and, and you're obsessed with yourself and stuff like that. And like, you're, I'm like, okay, well, you're not answering the question, but I did. I created a lot of self-doubt. I created a lot of shame about myself because me asking about getting married made me feel sinful. It made me feel shameful. And the irony was I wasn't even asking about someone specific. I was just trying to understand the rules of the game and why, why God would do this to us. Meanwhile, a generation before me, they had married people that they met at college, but I wasn't allowed to meet someone at college. So it was very strange. So I, so I being the loophole girl that I am, I was like, well, I'm talking to someone online. I have no access to him in person. He lives halfway across the country, so I can't actually commit any sins with this guy. But I'm 21, so I'm interested in dudes. I've been interested in them since I was like freaking 10 years old. So yeah, I'm gonna talk to one because you guys can't explain to me what the fuck your your rules, how they make sense. And I don't, they don't jive with my spirit. So I did, I talked with him. And I remember like at first they found out and they're like, they tried to like ban it. Like they would monitor our laptops and they saw that it, I was texting or not texting actually, it was email back then. Um, but they saw this and it, and it was through, actually through a method where um, we actually got sent messages from our church website and as part of our duties to respond to kids our age about religious topics. So we were kind of like doing current events and, and whatever. So we would get sent a person from this website that would say, oh, I have a religious question for you. And then I would get the, get it to respond. So that's how I met this guy, through the freaking religious website that they have. And not like on a AOL chat or chat room or anything weird. You know what I mean? Like it's, and so, and then, then this guy I started talking to, who by the way, was interested in the weird shit that I'm in, the weird ass cult that I'm in, was he was into that. And I was like, okay, this is perfect. He's into the stuff that we're into. Um, and no, that wasn't approved. So I just thought that was so bizarre because it did not make sense to my spirit. You cannot tell me how to date someone, how to meet someone. The, the method by which this guy is trying to meet me is the only logical method I can even see being rationally possible. So I just kept talking to him. So I, yes, in a way I violated the rules and I was rebellious and, and whatever, but I never even actively, I never even saw him in person or touched him in person. And they kicked me out for that. Meanwhile, the generation before me were sleeping with people and keeping their babies and anyways, I just thought the whole thing was a hot mess. And I, I had a hard time listening to their rules when it didn't make sense to me. And um, yeah, so I got kicked out for that reason. So if that's simple and whatever, then I guess that's what happened. But I, I honestly wasn't ready to leave the church. I was only 21. I was obsessed with my family. Um, my whole life was my family. It was me, my sister Taylor, my brother Boaz and my sister Faith. I was at the time 21. My sister was 16 or 17. We were best friends, by the way. 
like I said, I always wanted to protect her since the day she got cancer. I've always looked at her like, I'm going to protect you for life. And she was my best friend. And she's super smart and super hilarious and sweet. And in fact, way smarter than me. My sister Taylor's so smart that when I was studying in college for nursing, she would help me study and write my papers at 16 when I was 21. She was just so fucking smart. She literally was a valedictorian of her class. But long story short, we were, we were very close. And, um, you know, I, I lost her through that whole situation because after you get kicked out, everyone cuts you off entirely. Also, my brother Boaz and Faith. I kind of was a second mother. I helped raise them. They, from the time they were babies till three and five. So Bo was five and my sister Faith was three when I got kicked out of the church. I'm 21. I newly graduated nursing school. But prior to that, I did not have a social life. I didn't date anyone. I didn't go to parties. I didn't have, I mean, I had a job, but it was, I would go to work, go to school and go and take care of the babies. And the babies, you know, was a full-time job when I was not doing anything else. So I loved them. They were my heart and soul. It was like, I might as well have been a second mother to them. I took care of them when they were sick, took them, like, took them to field trips, bought them things. Like, it, I was a second mom. And so when the church kicked me out, I lost all of this at once. So I lost all my friends. I lost my mom, my dad, my sister Taylor, my sister, my sister Faith, and my, and my brother Bo. And it was devastating. Like, I was probably closer to like a 16 or 17 year old maturity mindset when it comes to like understanding how the world operates, understanding people. I had never dated. I'd never had a drink of alcohol. I'd, like I just was super young and naive and super sheltered from the world and, you know, in a bubble of people all the way just thrust into the world. Okay, bye. Don't talk to us. Don't call us. Um, you know, and I, at the time, obviously, it hurt a lot. And at first, I thought it was just the church's decision because the church makes decisions for everyone, including the family. I wa I literally watched families get ripped apart. Before that happened to me, I watched it happen. And every time it happened, I would cry my eyes out. Like if if uh, I saw grandparents get kicked out of their houses and shunned and they couldn't see their kids or their grandkids, and then everyone starts shit-talking that person, it was so crazy. We went, we went from being these kind, warm, unified people to like in an instant, as soon as we decide someone would sin too much or that was their last straw or sin, we would be like, that's it, we cut them off. And then we would pretend like we never loved them. It was the most narcissistically crazy, bizarre thing that I kept witnessing. So from the age of 14 to 21, I saw this repeatedly happen to people. And most of the time it happened to adults. I never saw it happen to a kid. I was the only kid it happened to. And when I tell you I was 21, I was freaking 16 year old mindset. Imagine losing all your family at 16 and just being like, what the fuck? And or all of a sudden all your family hates you overnight. Now, granted, I've, I've made amends with my family s since then. So I don't hold the, and harbor that anger and judgment. And I'm going to go through a whole different series of explaining my PTSD. And, and that's a really long recovery process. But and I did have really bad PTSD from this event. But and I but but I will say that like it was dramatic. Like I did not know what hit me. I didn't have a plan. I, I had not planned to leave. I was not in the state of mind. I, I am friends with people who've left. Like I'm I'm best friends with Megan. Megan and Grace, they left the church of their own volition. And there's many children that have left the church of their own volition. They were ready or they or they felt triggered by something or felt an injustice. I was, I had not mentally prepared to lose anyone yet. I had not 
planned an escape. I didn't have friends. I didn't have a support system. I didn't have money, nothing. I just got kicked out of my ass like, holy shit. Okay, at least I have a job. Thank God I have a job. I have my nursing job. I can pay for my bills. And that's all I knew what to do. So I literally just poured myself into work. Every day I would work like five, six shift a week, which is insane. I would take up pick up every overtime shift because I was like, okay, I know how to work. I know how to work. I know how to take care of people. That's the only thing I know how to do. I hate being home by myself. I hate being depressed. I hate not going home to my par parents. And, you know, at first I thought it was going to be a situation where like I would be able to come home. Like this is just, I'm just getting punished for being an ass. I'm a, you know, my parents are mad at me. I'm going to come home in a month. I'll be home in two months. I'll be home in three months. Like I really thought that it was just like a little bit of a, like a, a tough love situation where it was going <laughs> to be fine. And I would just you know, oh, just have some patience, get through this. Your parents are teaching you a tough love situation. It'll, it'll be fine. And it never got better in that time frame. Like I legitimately did not know what to do. I was like, okay, well, they're not letting me come home. I remember a couple of times I called home and I'm like, hey, can I come home for dinner or something? And I had been calling what well, my ex-best friend who I'd gone through uh, nursing school with. We were best friends through high school and college. And um, I had, we were coworkers. You know, we were best friends, so we were coworkers. So after I got kicked out of the church, we still were coworkers. She, after I called my parents and asked them to come home to dinner, because I was so, I missed them so much, she called them and said, don't let that her come home because she's violating the church's policy of banishment. Like when someone leaves or gets kicked out, they're banished. They're not allowed to, it's no contact, no, no phones, no emails, no, you don't answer your phone, you don't answer the door. Like it goes full discard. Like if you've ever researched narcissism, it's a full discard. Like you are gone. You're dead to us. You never existed. We're probably going to talk mad shit on you. Like it is really, it's really abusive. It's really emotionally, psychologically abusive. And um, I watched it happen to other people. So even though I wasn't pre present for my shit talking, I knew what they were saying because I knew what they said about other people before I left. And it's like, this person, oh, see, I knew this person was evil. I knew this person was a whore. I knew that she was going to be a whore. Like, it's so jarring that you already know, you know? And then even the couple times I called home, like, I wasn't, it wasn't well received. I couldn't come back to church. It was just, it was, it was massive. So I remember, like, I just delved myself into work. I, you know, I worked so much that my boss had to be like, you actually are working too many hours. You have to go home. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, I have nothing else to do. I hate, I hate my life. Um, and I remember at the time too, I was like, I was pretty depressed, but I didn't know what depressed depression was like at all. We didn't really believe in mental illness in the church. So to us, we would always diagnose people with every, whatever, whatever you're going through is either you're being sinful or you're being godly. Like everything's just like black and white. And so I thought, well, I can't be depressed. That means I don't believe in God and I'm not thankful for my blessings or whatever the hell. I can't be depressed. So I've just been in denial about it. And I remember my my boss was literally like, they understood the situation they to a degree that I was got cut off and that the Westboro's very narcissistic. To a degree, they have narcissistic tendencies and were mistreating people without empathy. And they were like, Lauren, you're probably depressed because of what's going on. I'm like, no, 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 I don't know. I don't, I don't like medications. I'm not depressed. Like I can handle it. I'm working in... And then like six months after all of it went down and I wasn't seeing any light at the end of the tunnel, I was like, um, I just stopped like caring about things. Like I stopped eating. 
I stopped like I would sleep all day. I would like not answer my phone. I wouldn't charge my phone. I wouldn't check my schedule. I wouldn't call work back when they, you know, because they would call me for overtime shifts. So I just kind of was like, oh, I don't really want to work overtime. But you know, your 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 work calls you for your real job too. Like the days you're scheduled to come in, and I would just be like, oh, I don't really feel like it. And they're like, yeah, no, you gotta come in. Like you're gonna get fired. So I was just like, oh, fired. That would suck, you know. And it was like a wake up call, but I was just so actually depressed, not knowing I was depressed that I just like kind of almost got fired. Like my boss had to call me and be like, you've been a no show a couple of times. Like we noticed you're not really eating. You're losing a lot of weight and like all this stuff. And I was like, yeah, I don't know why that's happening. And they're, they're like, do you want to see a therapist? And I'm like, no, I don't believe in therapy. It was just weird. So I wasn't, I wasn't very open to it at that time. And I remember I was like, okay, that's it. Like this place is not healing for me. I can't stay in this state. I can't stay in this condition. And I remember praying the night that I got kicked out, I prayed so hard. I, could, I was like, okay, God, just, I all, no matter what happens to me, please don't let me lose my faith. Cause that's one thing that I always wanted to carry with me through life. And I, I was really concerned that this out, this thing that happened to me was going to ruin my belief in God. Because I, 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 I think when really bad things happen to people in the name of religion, People are like, fuck everything. Fuck God, fuck religion, fuck everything. I see it happen, you know, and um, for whatever reason, I was just like, no, this is the one thing I need. I need God to protect me. I need to have a guide. I need to have a path. I need to have faith because I have nothing else. I can't call my parents. I can't go home. I can't phone a friend. <laughs> so for me, it was really important that I still had that at that time. But um, yeah, so that that's kind of like, a few things that I went through, but I, I, yeah, I remember even at one point I was suicidal and I didn't know what suicidal meant because being suicidal is, is sinful. So at the time I was like, I can't, I can't diagnose myself with being suicidal because then I'm going to be sinful and then I'm going to hell and that would, that's really bad. So, but I do remember at one point bef during those like six months that I ca I called home and I was like, Hey mom and dad, like I'm, I'm super depressed. Like I, I don't, I didn't say depressed. I said, I'm, I think, I think God wants to kill me. I said something like that. Like, I didn't know how to like phrase it, but I was like, I think God wants to kill me. I'm having these feelings like he's going to kill me soon. Um, <laughs> and I, I was trying to word it in the way that we would believe in things because, you know, you're not allowed to kill yourself and you're not allowed to kill anyone. So, um, yeah, I, I, looking back, those were really low moments. And I remember feeling super, and, and, and I've had them, you know, over the years at times, really low moments of, of feeling super low. But yeah, so at the time, you know, I was like, okay, I can't live in this place. This place sucks. I, I'm going to lose my job. I have no friends and family. Kansas is miserable. It's like blizzarding every freaking day. So I, I was like, that's it. I'm leaving. And, I, and the only person I had contact with at that time outside the church was this guy that I met online, who I wasn't even going to be into, except for the fact that now he's my only friend. So got put, you know, stars aligned in that weird way. And I ended up befriending him and his mother and um, got myself into a relationship with him pretty quickly, which was also something very naive to do. You know, like I had no experience dating. I had no experience meeting people and testing them out, seeing if there's red flags, seeing if there's issues. I just, I, I didn't know how to do that, navigate that. So I kind of rushed into a relationship probably way too quickly. And um, yeah, so I ended up moving out to Connecticut. I met him and his mom. His actually, his mom was actually very kind to me, and I, I think I, I loved her more than him in many ways. Um, and thankfully, she was there for me. She was like a mother figure, and she took me in and we lived in her home. And we, her and I, would like. She basically helped deprogram a lot of the things I believed about God and 
a lot of the things I believed about myself. Um, and we would have like little Bible studies and we'd have long discussions and it was just like super healing for me. But I ended up in an abusive relationship with her son because he was not a healed human and he was not good for me. And so I, I went through a really, really tough time with him. Um, that was, it was just, it was bad. It, I mean, the, the cops were, he got violent several times. The cops were called, like he put his hands around my neck. He tried to strangulate me. Like, I mean, I went through a pretty abusive time with him. So yeah, I, I like I said, I had no experience dating. I mean, you don't have experience with things. You don't know how to look for a red flag. You don't know what, what red flags are. And um, I didn't look for them or notice them at all and um, got myself in that mess. And then a year and a half later, I ended up getting out of that and um, dealt with him like stalking me for a little bit, had to get a restraining order. So that sucked. My my mother-in-law, who I was like my newfound best friend, I had to lose her because she's his mother and I can't be friends with her anymore because I have a restraining order against her son. So that sucked. Um, yeah, and it was just like, like a mess, um, but I did. I, I ended up escaping the relationship. I got myself my own condo. I was pouring myself into work again. Um, finally, actually dated for the first time ever. And um, you know, at that time, like they had online dating, they had Match.com, they had um, plenty of fish, and you know, these different ways to meet people outside your circle. So, kind of went down that route. Dated some dated some guys in Connecticut, and ended up meeting my husband and. Yeah, it was, uh, that's, that's kind of my story in, in Connecticut. Um, but yeah, so I met my husband, David. And um, yeah, we've had, we've been together for 13 years. Yeah, so not too long after my ex. I've really only dated for like a good three to six months before I met my husband. And we did, we dated for about two years before we got engaged and married. So I was married around, uh, when I get married, I got engaged in 26 and married at 27. And actually, my book came out the same year that I got married. So in 2013, so my book came out. So, we, you know, I was kind of on that path of, you know, um, I didn't really want to write, write the book, to be honest. I didn't even think I was like author material. I, I personally think my story is kind of boring. I, I do tell it because apparently it helps other people <laughs> and it's unique. But um, and I always thought it was a really boring story and really like lame and no, I, I wasn't an author or a storyteller, so I was kind of just like, I don't know if I'm going to do all this, but it ended up being a very therapeutic process. Um, I got connected with a really awesome author. She tells her women survival stories. That's her. That was her goal. That was her a uh, her resume actually. So all over the books she would be a ghostwriter for. She did survival stories, whether it's trauma survivors. Um, sexual abuse, whatever it was, she was always uh, a really, really, she had a really good way about her telling stories. So since I'm not an author by nature, um, I connected with her and we told the story together. So that's how Banish came about. And she, she kind of pulled certain parts out of my life that I didn't know were necessarily like impactful or unnecessary or interesting. And, and then I would, you know, we'd Skype on the, on the phone or we'd, we'd do Skype sessions and then she'd write up a draft and then I'd read it and we edit it together, so that was really good. Um, yeah, I, how are we on time, actually? Yeah, we're 54 minutes in. You've crushed it, girl. I have so much more to say, but you know what? This is super fun. If you so want I, to tee it up for a part two. I'm not gonna, I, we do. We should do t part two, but you know what? Um, 
I just want everyone to know what to expect with this podcast, what my intentions are going forward. So, you know, I kind of gave you guys a brief overview of everything um, in my life, but I'm really going to touch um, each episode. I'm going to bring bring everything back, you know, like bring it back to whatever a mental health issue that I've I've had to struggle with several of them um, to this day. Uh, if it's religious, like excommunication, if it's religious, like injustices, if it's um, you know, there's a lot of other things I've experienced, like trolling through social media, um, judgments of people, of your lifestyle and your career choices, whatever it may be. So there's going to be, I, you know, clearly it's called triggered for a reason. You know, I came up with the topic because I, I do struggle with C, um, CPTSD. So it's complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, I've had symptoms since I left the church, but it really didn't start spiking until about like quarantine 2020. There's, I'll get into that in a different episode, but there's a lot of really pivotal things that were going on in my life and it was, it was coming to a head. It was almost like I was having panic attacks every day. I lost 20 pounds in 20 days without trying. I was really, 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 really depressed. Um, I couldn't even pick up my daughter. I couldn't work. I couldn't, you know, I was, it was bad. So at some point it just hits ahead and you're like, okay, now I have to handle, I have to go to therapy for this. I have to handle this. I have to do something about it. And um, yeah, so for me, I have specifically, I have things that have triggered me, but I also noticed in our world, there's so much things that are triggering everybody. You know, everybody has triggers. Everybody has anxiety. Everybody has things that are messed up that they have to deal with. And so ironically, I didn't know this until about two or three years ago when I, I made a post on my social media. And it was like, I've always wanted to do what I'm doing now, which is talk about life and have deep conversations and talk about real shit. But uh, before podcasting was cool, it wasn't really cool to talk about this stuff. Or at least I didn't think it was. Um, I didn't think people just want to casually talk about these things. So anyways, I, okay. When I realized that for me, my audience specifically, because I have several different audiences, I have the audience from my story with Westboro and my, and my book Banished. Then I have my fitness career where a lot of people follow me for um, being a fitness trainer, online personal trainer. I have nursing followers. I have a, a couple different patches of followers from different chapters of my life. But then I tapped into mental health when I posted like two years ago that um, I have PTSD. And I was, I posted, I don't even know specifically what triggered me to post it, but um, I just felt this overwhelming sense of wanting people to know how painful this was just in case somebody else had it. And I thought it was very rare. Like I actually had something, a rare disease when I was uh, pregnant. Uh, It was, is a, it's called cholestasis, but basically it's a high risk pregnancy thing where it's super rare. So I was like, well, why am I going to put it out there? I'm only going to help like a very small percent of the population with this bullshit thing that I have. And, th- and when I posted that, I got such aw- awesome feedback and I healed a lot of helped heal a lot of people. So I was like, okay, well, maybe there's a chance there's a lot of people that have PTSD too. So let me post this panic attack that I caught on camera on accident. It was just I had a panic attack in front of my ring camera um, and I, so I posted it and I showed people and I had like the biggest, most overwhelming response on my Instagram I've ever had. I put, you know, I post all kinds of content on there and this is what I got the most feedback from was people seeing me have a panic attack, explain why I have them and also their comments. It was like two to 3,000 comments of uh, therapies to try. Uh, people recommending like naturopathic things, holistic things, uh, plant medicines, ayahuasca, all this stuff. 
And to see everyone's overwhelming sense of relatability and, and, and passion and, and connectability in this was like, oh my God, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to talk about. This is what I want to post. I want to have purpose. I want to have meaning. And I, if, I can, if I'm in this much pain and somebody else is in this much pain, like what, I'll, all I want to do is help them get through it or get past it or heal it. So um, it's an ongoing battle, but it's amazing to know that there is treatment and there is a way to overcome it. And there is a way to heal these things about us and these these really real things we go through in life. So yeah, that's like I said, triggered. It's going to be a little bit about me, a little bit about what triggers other people. But you know, we'll we'll get into other topics too, um, like a really some spicy, spicy stuff. Like I have um, a couple of people lined up right now to be on my show. Um, my friend Jamie will be on one of my shows. She's a competitive pistol shooter. She has a really incredible story and background. And I, and I just find a lot of the cool people I meet have awesome stories. And them being awesome is not the only cool part about it. To me, they're, the, whatever hardship they overcame is what makes them awesome. Um, not just the cool thing that they do. Like, oh, she competitively shoots. Yeah, that's cool. But why, how did she get so good at that? Why did she decide to go to go there and, and explore this thing for herself. Um, you know, like if someone becomes an artist, why did they become an artist? So if someone becomes a musician, how did they discover this awesome talent that they have? And it's usually some crazy ass story behind it. So that is always been my goal is to help find someone's unique story and bring it out. And usually that unique story is gonna have a triggering thing attached to it. So it could be like, oh shoot, they were molested. Oh shoot, they were um, like abused or they were, I don't know, whatever it is, it's probably triggering to somebody somewhere. <laughs> and um, I used to be so afraid of triggers. Like I used to think it was like, oh, it's taboo. It's like, let's not talk about it. Let's not piss anyone off. Let's, I don't want any troll comments. Da, da, da. And then I was just like, why am I doing that? Like you, you cannot avoid triggers in life. You cannot avoid trolls. You cannot avoid judgment. Like it's everywhere. And the more you try to avoid it like a landmine, the more it blows up in your face. So it's just like, Okay, let's all just take a breath and let's all just understand that we all experience triggers and let's be real about it for a minute, you know? And that's and that's the cool thing about podcasting is that people are actually just being real and stop trying to tiptoe around everything that's so taboo and tiptoe around everything that's so triggering. Is that they're like, okay, let's talk about it and everyone can have an opinion and then, yeah. So that's what the show hopefully will be about. I'm really excited to be on here. I can't wait to hear feedback. I want everyone to kind of like give me recommendations, suggestions on what you want to hear, or if you have any guest speakers you think would be awesome for me to connect with. I'm super stoked. So this is the beginning. Welcome to Triggered. Thank you guys for joining me, and um, I'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.